The following audio is a Sunday sermon from Red Church in Blackburn, Australia. For more information about the church and its ministry, please go to www.redchurch.org.au. Really excited this morning to uh, have uh, Dr. Chris Candia with us this morning. Uh, Paul Favell calls him a big deal. So, uh, and I've got a list of things to read about what Chris has done. He told me don't go too long. Uh, an incredible, incredible man of God who has, has just a, a list and list of things. I'm going to just tell you a few things about him. Uh, he's a founding director for Home for Good, which is uh, basically taking those kids who uh, just haven't been as fortunate. It's, it's a, it's a, is it a UK thing? Is it? Just checking. Yep. And basically, it's putting them in foster homes and just really caring for those who uh, don't have homes. And he's going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, Chris, he's written 13 books, which is an incredible feat. Um, he's done TED Talks. He's, he's done his PhD. He's just uh, an incredible guy. He's got seven kids. Um, he's got foster kids. He's got adopted kids. An incredible man. We're really blessed to have him this morning. Uh, so as we welcome Chris to the stage, give him a hand. Um, real pleasure to have him. Um, I'm just going to pray for you this morning before we start. Father, I want to say thank you uh, that you are at work in everyone's lives, but you have had a plan for Chris, that the work that he has done is all because of you. And I want to say this morning as he speaks to us, as he says with us, that uh, we would see your heart for this world, that we would see your passion for the people uh, that are less fortunate in this world, that, that we get to have a role to play, that we get to be your ambassadors in this world and show, uh, show the world that you love everybody. And so this morning, as Chris shares with us, Lord, I, I pray that our hearts would be softened, that our, our, the eyes of our hearts would be opened, uh, that we would know more of you through what you are doing through Chris. So, uh, yeah, just all glory to you, Father, and just uh, that we give everything to you um, because you're a good Father. And just, yeah, just pray this morning that, that you would be here and present and just moving in our hearts as Chris shares with us. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. It's a real privilege to be here. I, I tell you, the highlight of my morning so far uh, is just meeting Bjorn. <laughs> I, isn't he amazing? Within, I think, two minutes of, of meeting him, he told me about the work of grace that God had done in his life. He's just infectiously passionate about Jesus. And I've, I've known you for all of, I think, 30 minutes, but I'm impressed already. Fantastic guy. And apparently he was Bjorn again recently. So, ah. <laughs> oh. Okay. Uh, I feel like when I'm in Australia, I need to apologise for my accent. Um, British people have got a lot to answer for in the world uh, right now and historically. Uh, just so that you know, Brexit was not my idea. <laughs> and the destruction of Europe and possibly peace in our time uh, was, was not on my watch. Well, it was on my watch, but I voted the other way and oh, it, it's, it's not been good. Uh, I do feel very at home here. Um, uh, my mum was born in India, uh, my father was born in Malaysia, my father's father was born in Sri Lanka, and uh, maybe as you can guess, my mother's father was born in Ireland. <laughs> so I feel like I really fit in in Australia. <laughs> this is such a lovely multicultural uh, place, and uh, we've been in downtown Melbourne for the uh, Justice Conference, and just walking on the street, um, you just meet the world, and so that's been fantastic. Um, I think I read the memo wrong. When, when I came uh, to find out where I'll be speaking today, uh, I, I was told that this was a certain kind of church, that this was Red Church. <laughs> but apparently that isn't instructions on what you're supposed to wear. 
None of you, okay, fine. <laughs> we can still be friends, I think. Okay, um, I want to tell you a little bit about, um, a bit about the work we do, but I really want to log in your head why this stuff matters. Uh, and I want to do that um, through a little bit of theology. Okay, and theology is a little bit of a scary word for some people. So uh, I've got a picture I want to show you. Let's see if this thing's going to work. What do I need to press? I press that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's the title of the talk. Um, this is how you can find me again because I'm getting on a plane after the talk today. Um, and if you want to stay in contact, social media is a really good way. Um, but just, just briefly, just look at this picture and tell your neighbour what you see, okay, immediately what you see, okay? First word comes into your head when you see this picture. Don't even think about it, just go with it. Are you ready? Okay, what do you see? First word, just have a quick chat with your neighbour. Come back again. What did you see? Give me a word. Joy. Okay, anything else? What did you see? Did you, did, you, did you miss it? Do you want to see it again? A crowd? Yeah? Should we try again? What did you see? Harvest. Yeah, you saw the right thing. That looks like a rock concert, doesn't it? That is not a rock concert. That is a field of cotton. And, and that's a harvester coming towards you. Are you with me? It looks like we're at Glastonbury or, you know, somewhere like that. That's, that's not what it is. Weird, isn't it? Sometimes your initial impression of a thing is not the right initial impression. And you, you're, you're brilliant. <laughs> Top marks. Do you come from a farming background? Is that what? Really? Do you? <laughs> so good. No, okay. Interesting. So maybe our history can help us see things better uh, if we're aware of it. Um, the stuff we're going to talk about today is, is, is a little bit difficult. Um, some of the stories you may hear may be, may be difficult to hear. Maybe it triggers stuff in, in your past. Um, and my intention is not to make life complicated, but to try to show you a, a really rich and important theme within Scripture. Let me tell you a little story. So there was a knock at our door, our front door. We live in Oxfordshire, not far from uh, the, the university town of Oxford. And there's a knock at the door. And when we open it, there are two people stood there. Um, one of them is a social worker, and the other one is a boy who is really tall. I'm, I'm tall compared to me, anyway. <laughs> I'm on a stage, so you don't know how short I am. Being short has advantages, particularly if you're flying economy everywhere, because it feels like business class. <laughs> so this guy is towering over me. He's only 12 years old. And he's pulling this huge pink suitcase, which obviously wasn't his. It was a loner. He's there on my doorstep because he's just come from the accident and emergency. Because he's been attacked. And I thought someone had used a knife on his face, but actually his own mother had used her nails to scar him. And she'd, she'd poured boiling water on his arm and he was not in a good, good, good place. And he was very withdrawn, even though he was really tall, he was kind of hunched over. And then there he is in my lounge. The social worker says her goodbyes. And I'm trying to make small talk. And I, I'm not bad at making small talk. I used to do youth work a lot. And I, you know, I, I know stuff that's going on with, with young people. And I'm interested in music and football. And, and nothing's working. Because he's just still in shock. 
he's in some form of post-traumatic stress moment because of what's just happened to him. And, and he's not sure who he is or where he's from because he can't go home. Home isn't a safe place for him right now. And so here he is with some strangers. And how is this all going to work out? And I, I, I didn't want to pressurize him. I wanted to give him some space. But I also wanted him to know that he was welcome. And then my older lads, uh, I think they were 14 and 13 at the time, they get involved. And they used a therapeutic intervention I wasn't aware of. It's called an Xbox. <laughs> and they challenged this lad to a game of FIFA. It's a kind of football game. You know, the, the real football before, you know, soccer. Do you call it soccer? Yeah. And uh, my eldest son, I, I don't know why, something went wrong in his spiritual formation, but he's an Arsenal supporter. <laughs> and this lad is an Arsenal supporter. So this lad gets to be Arsenal, and my son and his older brother, they... They're going to be Manchester United. And the game is afoot. And, and, and I'm listening in. I'm just around the corner. I don't want to encroach on this holy moment. But I'm hearing just words come out of my boys' mouths. Good shot, mate. Well done. You've played this before. How would you get around my keeper? Fantastic work. And, and I don't know. There's a proud dad moment happening here. That my lads are trying their best to make this strange lad feel that it's safe and okay to be with us. I don't know how it happened, but Arsenal beat Man United 5-0 that day. <laughs> Best result ever. And then it's dinner time. And uh, so we sit all sit around the dinner table. It's a bit packed in, but we don't care. Our dinner table is probably the, the beating heart of our house. And it's not made of much. Of, you know, we, we kind of bit of a DIY job, actually. And our dinner table isn't valuable because of what it's made of but because of the friendships and the relationships that have been formed around it. And this lad doesn't quite know where to sit. I don't think he's used to having dinner around a table, but here he is. And my wife, well, we're not quite sure what to cook him because this is an emergency placement. We weren't given a, a menu list of things that he might eat, so we just cook everything we've got in the freezer. And uh, he really likes chicken Kievs. Do you know what they are? It's kind of chicken with, I don't know what's in the middle of it, but it's kind of, tastes all right. That's what we ate for five days in a row. Because <laughs> it was the only thing we knew we could cook that he would actually eat. And then the evening's getting on and it's getting dark outside. And even though he's got this massive pink suitcase, he hasn't got a toothbrush. Because he had to leave his house in a hurry. And so we're down the supermarket and I go and I take the lead. This is an expedition that we're all going to go on. And I go, my two boys go and this lad goes. And, and, and I'm, I'm going up and down the aisles. And I'm leading the way and the three boys are behind me. We're like a little troop. And I, I can't find toothbrushes anywhere. Like they, they've deliberately hidden them from regular shoppers like me. And the lad, he says, you don't come here very often, do you, Krish? I thought, wow, two hours ago, this boy wouldn't say a word to me. And now he's having a dig. Now <laughs> I'm loving it. Somehow he feels safe enough that this is okay. Friends, our family is a fostering family. And it's probably the most complicated and difficult and heartbreaking thing you can imagine. Because that little boy's story is actually quite normal. Most of the kids in foster care in the UK, 70% of them have experienced some kind of physical violence, um, some sexual abuse, uh, or severe neglect. 
And uh, sometimes they turn up in uh, on our doorstep brought by a social worker. Sometimes they turn up in the middle of the night in a police van. But each one of those children needs somewhere safe to be. And it's been our privilege for the last 12 years to be involved in that. And I know what you're thinking. That's a British problem. But I don't know if you know this, but Australia has some of the worst statistics in the developed world when it comes to looked after children. Here, I wrote this number on my hand so I wouldn't forget it. Kids currently in your care system, 47,915. That's the latest stat from 30th of June, 2017. 49,715. That's in a country, what, 26 million people? The UK has a lot more people, smaller um, real estate, um, but 75,000 kids. So you are overrepresented with kids in your care system. About a third of the kids in your care system have lived in 11 different placements. They've been bouncing around the system, and it's not good. What tends to happen is, is kids that, that bounce around the system never learn the ability to make ongoing, trusting, loving relationships. And that kind of haunts them for the rest of their lives. And in the UK and here, when kids age out of foster care, it's like falling off a social cliff. Maybe you've been involved in, in work in prisons. And you might know that 50% of the prison population um, have had care experience. A lot of them are young men who've been bounced around the care system and then had nowhere to go and end up criminalised. In the UK, care leavers make up about 1% of the population, but they make up about 25% of the homeless population. In the UK, care leavers make up about 70% of sex workers. Now, I don't know about you, it's become pretty cool for the church to talk about justice. It's become a funky thing, and, and I've loved the Justice Conference. And we talk about working in prisons, and we talk about ending sexual exploitation, and we talk about the homeless. But a lot of these young people needed help when they were five or six years old. They needed a loving, secure home. They might have needed a home like yours. And rather than wait until the system kind of chews them up and spits them out, why don't we get involved here? And not in some kind of weird rotor where you kind of visit a kid once a month, but what about providing a loving and stable relationship 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that make a difference? But maybe you're thinking, this is not your problem. This is someone else's problem. Well, let me take you on a little bit of a journey to show you maybe why that might not be the case. If you've got a Bible, um, you might want to turn. Oh, I'm going to tell you the page number. 812, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles. And if you're using your phone, you might want to Google Galatians chapter 4. And we're reading from the New International Version. And uh, just before I start, I said some of this might trigger stuff that's going on. And you don't have to disclose this if you don't want to. Um, but I'd be interested. Does, does anyone here have a story in their lives that involves... Adoption. Is anyone here adopted? You, again, don't have to disclose if you don't want to, but is there anyone here that's adopted? All right, great. Let me rephrase that question. Is there anyone here who is a Christian? Let me tell you what I mean. Galatians chapter 4. 
All right, this is Paul, and he's writing to uh, a bunch of believers in Asia Minor. And it's modern-day Turkey, but I prefer the name Asia Minor because I kind of relate to that term. Because <laughs> I'm short and Asian, right? <laughs> and he's writing to them because there's some problems going on. People are kind of confused about what the gospel is. And some people think that um, in order to be a genuine Christian, uh, you need to be circumcised. You need to obey all the laws of the Old Testament. And I'll tell you, that infectious enthusiasm that comes from Bjorn, uh, he tells me it's because he read the book of Galatians. It opened his eyes that he needed grace, not law, that he needed to be set free from a legalism. And it was through reading this very book that Bjorn became a believer. And actually, through the centuries, thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people have discovered the grace of God through reading the book of Galatians. It was a key book in kicking off uh, the Reformation 500 years ago. But when we spend our time thinking about the escape from legalism, and it is a really important theme, there's another theme that gets neglected, and that's the one I want you to look at today. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Okay, pause there for a minute. Paul's saying this, look, being Jewish is awesome. It's like you are about to inherit a huge estate. But while you're underage, while you're a minor, you don't get the inheritance. And it can feel a little bit like you're being bossed around by the trustees of the estate. And Paul is saying, well, that's a little bit like the law. The law is a gift from God. But while you're the kind of wrong side of it, it feels like you're being bossed around. You feel like a slave. There's no, no matter how hard you work, you can never get your freedom. You can never get what you're going to inherit. And so Paul says, that is a problem. But he also says this. Did you see it? So also when we, verse 3, so also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. So I think Paul's extending it there. So he says, Jewish people have a problem with slavery. They were enslaved to the law because they hadn't yet received the inheritance that the gospel was going to bring them. But then he says, well, actually, the rest of us were in slavery too. Uh, maybe it wasn't to the law. Maybe it was to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. In Ephesians 2, it talks about that, doesn't it? We were dead in our transgressions and sins when we followed the, the, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We might not have known it. But some of our patterns of living, some of our, our broken relationships, some of our addictions were actually a slavery to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. You don't have to be a satanic worshipper that goes to a coven somewhere to be in slavery to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. You just need to not be in relationship with God. And Paul says, you know what? At just the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. So God sent his son in. You can imagine the conversation in heaven. That, that the Holy Trinity, God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit were looking at the world. And they saw the brokenness and slavery that we've got ourselves into. Either through the law or through our own uh, doing. And God says, Jesus, will you go? 
I, I need to send you on a rescue mission. I need you to, to come and, and, and live on the earth. I want you to live the life these, these men and women, boys and girls should have lived. And I want you to die the death that they deserve for their sin. And then I'm going to raise you up from the death. And Jesus says, I'm in. I'll do it. Whatever you say. And the Spirit says, I'll give you everything you need, Jesus, to make that possible. And so this mission of the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, send Jesus into the born under the law to redeem those from the law. Brilliant. But that is not the end of the story. The next bit is where this was all headed. Did you see it? But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I'm going to make this a little bit competitive. Okay, you can be Manchester United and you can be Arsenal. We can see if we can make this a 5-0 uh, win. But I want you to play a bit of speed theology with me. When we talk about the gospel, the good news, we often talk about ideas like redemption, yeah, uh, or justification, or forgiveness, uh, or freedom. Wonderful, wonderful things. But we very rarely talk about adoption. That's why adopted people didn't put their hands up. Because it's just not part of the framework in which we understand who we are. So looking at that passage, I think I can get it on the screen for you as well, if you'd rather. Ooh, there you go. What is it that adoption gives you in a relationship with God that our normal ways of thinking about the gospel don't give you? Does that make sense? What do you get because you're adopted into God's family that you don't get otherwise? And um, the benchmark, just so that you know, I've done this in a Baptist church and an Anglican church and a Pentecostal church. I've not done it in a red church yet, but we're here now. <laughs> I'm looking for three things per pair. Are you with me? Uh, and we'll just see how we get on. And we're going to make it competitive. I'm going to come to you for one thing and you for another thing until we run out. You with me? Do you understand the question? So have a chat with your neighbor. If you're new to church and this is all a bit weird, just imagine, just try to imagine what it might feel like to be adopted into God's family. Just imagine what that might feel like and talk about that. Okay, off you go. You've got about 90 seconds to two minutes tops. So go quick. All right. We're just sorting out the English Premier League, so thank you. Uh, okay, so you are Arsenal. Okay, I've, I've not got a lot of skin in the game in this one. It must be said, but we started with Arsenal versus Man United. Do, do you have anything? Just, just one thing. Yes, please. You have the Holy Spirit. That's true. So in this passage, interesting, the Holy Spirit's role is to confirm our adoption. It's to give us the confidence to be able to call God Abba Father. I remember seeing, I think it was a Time magazine picture of John F. Kennedy. And uh, he's sitting at his desk in the White House. And he looks very important and he's signing some important documents. And you think, to get into that Oval Office is pretty difficult, isn't it? Um, I, I got to visit 
the White House when it was all closed up. A friend of a friend of a friend, I don't know, you know, managed to kind of get a bunch of us in. And the door of the Oval Office was open, right? No one in there. It's completely, you know, empty. Huge pictures of, it was George W. Do you remember him? Man, I'd give anything to have him back again. <laughs> I wasn't a fan at the time, <laughs> but I'm all over him now. Huge pictures everywhere, right? And, and, and the door is open, and I'm going, I've got to. You would, wouldn't you? I'm just going to get a foot. <laughs> Been there. <laughs> Normally, that's really difficult, isn't it? You've got these kind of huge men built like outside lavatories, like <laughs> protecting it. No one can come in without diplomatic clearance or whatever. But in this picture in Time magazine, there's John F. Kennedy signing all these important documents. And as you kind of zoom out of the, the picture of the desk, you see that underneath the desk is a little boy playing with a toy train. And you think, how did he get in there? How did he get access? Well, that's John F. Kennedy Jr. And so he's allowed. The Holy Spirit, he's the one that gives us confidence that we are God's children, that we have access. Not because of how great we are, but because of the mercy and grace of God. God says, come in. You can have intimacy and access to me. You can ask me. You can talk to me. I want to be in your life. I want you to be in my life. That's what the Holy Spirit gives us. Proximity and access to God, and it's beautiful. And that is yours by right of your adoption. Fantastic. Uh, okay, one, Neil, do you have a response? Is there anything you've got? What does adoption give you in your relationship with God that we don't normally think about? Yes, please, at the back. Yeah, now you're talking. So we get an inheritance because we are sons and not slaves. Does that make sense? And I know the language is often gender specific in a lot of translations. The reason is, is that I just want to emphasize that sons got to inherit. Okay, in a kind of patriarchal society back then, daughters didn't get to inherit. So some translations say sons and daughters, and some stick with sons because I just want to tell you that you have the status of sons. You get to inherit. Okay? Now think about this for a minute. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? Actually, it's the story of two prodigal sons, isn't it? One runs away and blows all his money and then comes home, and then there's the other one. And the other one's really angry that his brother has come back. Because, because in order for the younger brother to go away, dad said had to liquidate some assets, hasn't he? So he could divvy up the inheritance. And the son's already had his share of the inheritance, but if he comes back and the father takes him in, well, that means the older brother's share of the inheritance is going to get less, isn't it? So maybe that's why the older brother doesn't want him back. To be honest, I, I can relate to the older brother a bit. In, in my house, pizza night used to be the best night of the week. Because it was just me and my wife. And we had an oven, and we had one huge pizza, we put it in the oven, it cooked, and it was great. And then, and then my wife had this tiny little appetite. And she'd have this like acute angle that was her bit of the pizza. And I would get, what is it, the reflex angle, the obtuse angle, that was... That was my bit. And then we started having kids. We had three kids in three years, and that was awesome. And then, and then, then we started fostering and adopting, and there's seven kids now. And my oven isn't any bigger. 
So my slice of the pizza just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And sometimes on a bad day when I'm feeling hungry, I resent the kids eating my pizza. That's mine. <laughs> what are you doing? Thank God Jesus didn't think like that. He is the older brother. He's the rightful heir over all creation. It's all his. And yet he was the one that was willing to lay down his life to welcome you into the family so that you could have a slice of the inheritance. Isn't that amazing? What an amazing older brother we have. Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, they model a generosity and hospitality of family that we're supposed to emulate. Very good. It's one all, okay? I know we're Christians, but I'd like to see another goal. Uh, is there more? Is there anything else that adoption gives you? Yes. Yes, it does. Weirdly, we often talk about the Christian faith as being um, just you and God. Become a Christian, it's just you and God. Church is an additional extra. That isn't the way that the Bible sees church. We're a family, aren't we? Together. Church isn't an event that you turn up at. It's a family you belong to. And therefore, when you get welcomed in, you get to belong. Look, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Shawshank Redemption. Have you seen that film? Okay, if you haven't seen that film, just don't watch it with small children. The language is not brilliant. I think I like it because I'm a theologian and it's got the word redemption in it. But in the middle of that movie is a mini-movie all about a guy called Brooks. Do you remember him? He was born, he, as a, and then as a young man, he went into prison, and he's been there his entire adult life. And then he gets redeemed. Then he gets freedom. And he leaves the prison, he goes out into the world. But he has a problem. His, his freedom is, is great, but it's not enough. He needs to belong. And he doesn't belong to anyone outside on the free world. We, 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 maybe you know that from working with prisoners who leave prison. They often end up offending again because they don't belong to anyone. And might, might even value the friendships that they had in prison more than what they had out of prison. That's why we as churches need to be more inclusive, don't we? To give these guys and girls somewhere to belong to. You see, redemption was freedom from sin and freedom from slavery, but that wasn't the goal. The goal was that you would belong. You belong to God and belong to one another. Do you see how powerful adoption is? This is what God wants for you, not just freedom from sin, but to belong to God and to belong to his family. Great. Two, one, last chance. Is there a response? Anything else you can tell me? Yeah. A name. Yes. You get a new status, don't you, with God. You were once a slave, and now you are a son. God is delighted to call you his child. He's not embarrassed by you. I remember when I was a small, well, I think I was 12. Um, I probably was small then too, so I can't say when I was small, because that is a continual state that I am in. I'm not pained by it at all, it's fine. But I was a geek. Does that mean the same thing here as it does there? So I was well into computers. And uh, I, I had a computer that was called a BBC Micro. Some say the best computer that you could buy. Some of you are going, what is he talking about? 
that computer was so powerful that now your washing machine has more power than that computer. I used to spend Saturdays typing computer programs into my computer using something called machine code, right? You'd, you'd, you'd get a magazine and it'd have pages and pages of just random letters, but if you typed them in, um, you'd get to play this like cutting edge video game where if you press the Z key, an arrow would move left. <laughs> and if you press the X key, the arrow would move right. And if you press the space bar, the arrow would shoot to the top of the screen. So seven hours of fun. <laughs> and then you switch the thing off because you didn't have any storage. And if you wanted to play that game again, you'd have to type it in for another seven hours. So, you know, I got really excited because I went to this computer fair, right? That is like a collective term for a group of geeks. <laughs> and my mate's dad was willing to drive us to the computer fair and we got to hang out with all these other guys that looked like vampires, had never been out in the sun. It's brilliant, I felt so at home. I mean, I'm the brownest person in most rooms, but in that room, man, I was like, anyway. So we, well, I've been to the computer fair, I've got all this free stuff in plastic bags and, and you know, disk drives and disk cases and magazines and I'm laden down and I'm, I'm, I'm headed to the car park following my mate and his dad. And then this car comes zooming around the car park and um, just, just inches from me and I go, I, I jump back and all my stuff hits the door of this car. And the guy in the car puts his foot on the brakes, screeches to a halt, winds down the window and goes, you effing this and you effing that. And he used all sorts of racist language about me. And, and I'm, I'm 12 and I'm shaking. And I'm looking to my mate's dad to, to do something. And he just says, he's nothing to do with me. And walks away. I was so deflated by that moment that he wouldn't even say a word in my defense. Friends, that's, that's not how God feels about you. God is delighted to acknowledge you as his son forever. He's not ashamed of you. He'll do whatever it takes to stand up for you and fight for you and make sure you're going to be okay because that's the kind of God we've got. Now, friends, this gospel is so rich and beautiful. I wonder if it might change the way that you and I think Firstly, about God, that he's the ultimate father you could ever dream of. I know in our culture, many dads totally fail. and some, I've met so many kids whose dads have done worse than fail. They've abused and broken the kids in their care, and that's an absolute travesty. And we can't project that back up to God because God is the perfect father. He proves it time and time again in Scripture. So don't let whatever your earthly experience of your father is get projected back up to God. That's not fair. God is different to that. But I wonder if it might, this theology of adoption might change the way that you think about yourself. Somehow God saw us in our brokenness. We were vulnerable children, enslaved to the spiritual forces of this world. And yet, God says, I'm having you. You're coming to my home. You're going to live in my family. You're going to have my name. I'm going to give you my inheritance. I'm committed to you forever. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that incredible? Doesn't that make you want to sing and praise and do whatever you can to honor the God that has loved us in that way? But friends, might it also change the way that you consider, how many was it? 
47,915 kids currently in the Australian care system who don't have the security and belonging and trust and love of a family. Surely this mercy and grace we've received from God gets passed on to people that are in need. Surely that, that's what the gospel does to us. Or put it another way, when God describes himself in the Bible, you Google it. How often does he say that he has particular interest for the widow and the orphan? God says, I am a father to the fatherless and a protector of the widow and the orphan, over and over again. And so if we're going to be adopted into God's family, some of God's likeness needs to rub off onto us. What are people saying about this church? What is the public reputation of this church? Or even more, what's the public reputation of the church in Australia? What do they think we're about? Would they guess from the way that we live that we worship a God who is a father to the fatherless and a protector of the widow and the orphan? Would they work that out? That's the call, I think. Now, we've talked a lot about adoption, and I know adoption is complicated here in Australia. I know that. There was an article in the paper this morning from New South Wales that they're thinking maybe of making children who have had two years separated from their families available for adoption. But that's rare and controversial. And I get it. It's because of the terrible colonial history that we've got and a lot of the kids were unhelpfully removed from Aboriginal peoples and, and all their identity got mixed up. I get that's complicated. And I think, okay, if foster care is what's available, let's step up and be the foster carers that these kids need. And let's commit to them beyond the length of the fostering placement. That when it runs out at 18 or 21, we're still for them. Because our love isn't conditional on a paycheck or a status. Our love is modelling the grace of God that has been poured out into us onto those kids. There's something really exciting about this. In my country of England, we reckon it's, there are three things that get affected if the church would rise to this challenge. Firstly, kids end up with the homes that they need. That's the priority. And if they get the homes that they need, maybe they won't age out. And maybe some of them won't end up in prison or on the streets uh, or selling their bodies. Maybe that could be different because we loved on them. Secondly, the church begins to offer God the kind of worship that he kind of asked for anyway. The theme verse in my head, it's the one that wakes me up in the morning. Do you know it? It's James 1.27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is an amazing coffee machine in the lobby. I mean, it is amazing, and I would definitely have that in my church. Right? A, a kicking worship band, and they were kicking. Your bassist is like the coolest person I've ever seen. <laughs> Unbelievable. Wonderful, but not what's in James 1.27. How about biblically sound, culturally relevant preaching? I know you get that here regularly. I'm a big fan of Mark. Slightly gutted he's not here, but I've got to meet Bjorn, so I'm happy. <laughs> All of those things are wonderful gifts, aren't they? But when God put his wish list of what he actually wanted the church to do, none of those things were on it. What did he say? 
Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is to care for widows and orphans in their distress. Top of his list. If that was the measurement of the Australian church and my church in the UK, how would we be doing? We've forgotten those kids. Thirdly, kids do better off. Churches begin to offer God the worship he asked for in the first place. Thirdly, I think we could change the way the nation thinks about Jesus. People are tired in my nation of politicians who talk a lot, who promise a lot, who threaten a lot. And they want to see some action. In my country, most people know what the church is against. They've got all these groups of people that the church doesn't like. Not actually true, but that's the impression we've given. Imagine that every child in Australia that needed a home found one through the church. What message would that send to the nation about the core of Christianity? Wouldn't it be amazing? In the UK, most people don't think about fostering unless they're desperate. Unless you're desperate for money and you've got no qualifications, there's always foster care to earn some money. In the UK, most people don't think about adoption. Because if you've got your own kids, why would you want to adopt anybody else's? Adoption is for infertile people who aren't able to have their children. It's the last and third worst way to have a child. That wasn't God's mentality. God did not adopt you because he needed it. He wasn't lonely. He wasn't infertile. He wasn't bored. God did not adopt you because he needed it. God adopted you because you needed it. And it cost him his son. And he sent him in the power of the Spirit. And our lives are so radically different as a result. Friends, what if that same grace that's seized us gets poured out into the lives of vulnerable children in this nation? I don't know of a better parable of the gospel. We talked about some heavy stuff today. I hope it hasn't triggered stuff that's unhelpful. I hope that you've come to appreciate another depth of the grace that God has for you. But if you're able to, why don't you stand? Let me say a little prayer for you. And I'm hanging around at the book table. None of my books are there, but it's just a cool place to hang. So if you want to chat to me, I'm totally available for that just for a little while before I go and catch a flight. But you might want to put your hand out in a gesture of submission to God. And uh, let's just hear what God might want to say to us. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you graced us. You lavished your love upon us. Father, there was nothing we could do to earn or merit your love, but you saw us, you had mercy on us, you had compassion on us. And you broke us free from our slavery to sin. And you welcomed us home. You gave us your spirit. You gave us an older brother. And you made us your father. Lord God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your adoption. And Lord, not everybody in this room or even in every Christian church is called to foster. But we're all called to do something to pass on your grace to people in need. And we just pray that you would give us the courage and the strength to obey your call. 
whether that leads us to an elderly person on our road or to be kind to someone at our school or even to open our families up to receive a foster child. Lord, would you help us take the step that you're calling us to? We pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen.